Hello and welcome to Econoday Unplugged on Tuesday, the 5th of November 2019. Mark Pender is on the US East Coast. Brian Jackson joins us from Sydney. And I'm Jeremy Hawkins here in London. As usual, then, since we have Brian with us this week, let's kick off in the Southern Hemisphere. Brian, Bank of Japan, no change from the BOJ last week, but some tweaking of the forward guidance, perhaps suggesting a, an increased willingness to be more accommodative further out? Yeah, they've been flagging this for a few months now. They've um, you know, int- uh, introduced a new sort of uh, phrase into their lexicon, um, all, all about momentum. So they're all about you know, just how much momentum there is towards uh, meeting their inflation target eventually. Uh, you know, I, I don't really think that there's a, a, a great amount of momentum at, at the moment. Uh, we've, we've seen in the inflation numbers over the last few months both the headline and the underlying uh, measures of inflation just sort of bumping around and not really making a lot of progress. Um, so that's definitely putting, I think, some pressure on on the Bank of Japan, and and they've responded in this way by, uh, you know, just indicating that they'll they'll keep policy uh, at the very accommodative levels, uh, you know, uh, for for a longer period. You know, the now the phrase is we'll we'll keep it uh, at rates at these low levels or even lower as long as we have to. Uh, consider the possibility that we're going to lose momentum towards meeting the inflation target. Is it not the case, say, if I saw rightly, they actually reduced their inflation forecast last week? Is that right? They did, yes. They uh, tweaked, um, tweaked... So how do, they just, not, not how, do they, how do they justify not doing anything? Well, I, I don't know if something's lost in translation. I, I think, you know, they, they say that there's still some momentum towards uh, the, uh, the, the inflation target in that... Um, you know, inflation isn't you know sort of really heading in a negative way. Uh, you know, heading downwards, they're just uh, reducing the the forecast for how far it's going to go up. So you know, I think you could still say that you know there is some progress being made towards that target, but it's just not as fast as what you know they had previously thought. And of course, you know, this has been a, a long-standing feature of of Bank of Japan inflation forecasts. You know, they've, they've often had to uh, tweak them lower uh, and, and sort of push back the expected date for when they're going to meet the target. Yeah, same sort of thing as a number of central banks these days, isn't it? One yeah. of which, I suppose, we include the uh, RBA. So um, no change was it over, overnight, but um, that's no surprise, I guess, after the what the three cuts we had earlier on this year. Um, but what are, what exactly are they trying to meet this inflation target, or is it the case they're more concentrating upon the, the labour market and unemployment now? Oh, I think they uh, are a little bit uh, concerned that the inflation now has been below their their target for i think four or five quarters you know quite some time now so i think that is causing them some consternation but they're also mindful uh that uh unemployment rate is above five percent and has been for a while so they think that there's scope to get that down but you know there's a real policy debate happening in australia right now about just how much more the rba can do you know we're at uh, 0.75 percent for the main policy rate which is it's never been there before and I think there is some concern out there that uh, you know you don't want to go too close to zero, you know, into sort of uncharted territory, and what else can be done? And so what we're seeing is a lot of pressure now uh, being put on the government to do more on the fiscal side of things. Um, you've had the RBA governor uh, Lowe uh, quite explicitly say that he thinks there should be some more uh, spending on infrastructure uh, and, and other fiscal uh, tools, and that's becoming quite a part of the debate now. The trouble is that the, you know, the, the Australian government has made a pretty firm commitment that it wants to get its budget back into surplus uh, ahead of the next election. So we're coming up to like their mid-year fiscal review in December, 
uh, and that's where the, the focus is really going to be. Hmm. Interesting. Um, okay, let's go across the water then. Hong Kong. So I think we're writing saying now that the Hong Kong economy is technically in recession. And from what I saw, the October PMIs didn't look too clever either. So, I mean, how much of this is just due, due do you think, to political unrest? And, uh, and indeed, to that extent, is there any sign of this unrest coming to an end? Uh, and th- that's obviously the, the big factor that's led to this further uh, downturn. We already had the Hong Kong economy uh, in pretty subdued uh, territory going into this uh, just because of, you know, the US-China trade disputes, uh, just weak demand from mainland China. So, you know, at the start of the year, we all, you know, we had the PMI sort of below 50 consistently anyway. But this uh, this latest uh, downturn, yeah, it's, it's all about, um, you know, the impact of the civil unrest. It just seems like Hong Kong's closed for business right now. You know, I, you know you've got the PMI headline index below 40, you know, in the 30s. Um, I don't think we've seen that really anywhere since the, you know, the global financial crisis mm-hmm. of 2008, 2009. So it's a pretty dire situation, and uh, you know the government has uh, been forced to uh, try and uh, provide some support to the economy over the last few months. But you know until they do something to uh, resolve the the civil unrest, I don't think you're going to see a big uh, improvement in in conditions there. Brian, uh, this is Mark. I have a question about the mainland China weak demand from mainland China. Is that politically yeah. motivated? Uh so saying the Beijing, well, I think what we are saying are, is that are, are they putting pressure on them economically? No, I don't think it's, it's so much. Uh, Beijing is trying to send a signal to the Hong Kong government because you know the Hong Kong government is trying to do what Beijing wants it to, wants it to do. But I think there could be a situation where some uh, Hong Kong consumers are boycotting uh, uh, mainland Chinese firms um, out of. You know, out of the you know the sense of protesting against what uh, Beijing is doing, so there could be a bit of an impact of that. You've you've definitely had some uh, pro Beijing uh, business people in Hong Kong see that their businesses have been targeted for protests and, and boycotts uh, by the protesters because they you know they're trying to send a message to Beijing. Put that the other way around. Um. Oh, I mean, there could be to, you know to some extent, but you know, uh, I, again, I, I think you know. What, what we want to see from, you know, what Beijing wants to see is, uh, you know, the Hong Kong government, uh, you know, keep uh, its authority and its credibility. So I don't think they're happy about this uh, downturn in activity. Is there any contagion risk with Hong Kong? Through to uh, mainland China? For financial markets, it, it, a continued deepening recession, would, would that have any you know, uh, possible issues in the financial markets, uh, uh, loan defaults, that stuff? I mean, that, you know, at the margin, uh, that that can happen. But I, I think what we are seeing is that, um, generally speaking, uh, financial markets have been relatively uh, insulated from what's going on here. You, you still see uh, the, the Hang Seng Index um, sort of tracking uh, broader regional moves. And, uh, you know, the Shanghai Composite, I don't think, has been too uh, impacted by it. Okay, sticking quickly with China, I noticed we saw the Renminbi Wan um, rally briefly through, was it seven to the dollar um, today? Is that just on the back of what appears to be growing hopes that we get some kind of you know, trade settlement, at least around one of a trade settlement between the states and China? Or is there some better news coming out of the economy, which perhaps might justify it? Uh, I think it's both uh, is happening. You know, we have seen over the last uh, couple of weeks you know, a growing confidence that something is going to uh be done on, on the US-China trade 
uh, situation. Uh, you know, we, we have Asia-Pacific economic leaders meeting uh, soon and perhaps that will be the, the forum where we'll have some major announcements. We, we'll, we are also seeing just the, the, the People's Bank of China tweaking some of its sort of interbank rates to try and uh, improve liquidity conditions. Uh, not a great amount. Um, you know, I think they're wary of, of um, being too aggressive. Uh, given you know what has happened in, in previous episodes when they've tried to stimulate the economy and we just had this huge explosion in in debt, particularly by sort of state-run enterprises and mm-hmm. and local governments. So I don't think they um, they want to do too much, but they have tweaked around the edges. And you have seen you know if you look closely at the, at, the, at some of the PMI numbers over the last couple of months, a little bit of improvement. Uh, you know, it's still fairly subdued, but at least uh, you know not moving in the wrong direction now. Okay. Excellent. Thank you very much for that lot. Um, okay, well, back to central banks who are still busy mm. cutting interest rates, or at least have been. Mr. Pender, yes. last week then, a third a third interest rate cut from your side this year. But uh-huh. now we've got Mr. Powell saying Fed policy was in a good place. So does yeah. that mean we're on hold now? Basically, that was the the uh, unsaid uh, 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 conclusion of the meeting that uh, enough is enough for right now. The consumer is so strong uh, right now, and the labor market is still um, uh, uh, creating enough jobs that they're going to step back or they're going to let the indicators unfold and and go from there. So uh, it was, you know, you have to talk. You, you know, you give in one hand and you take back in the other and so I think that's a little bit of that. Strong non-manufacturing ISM from your side, I noticed earlier on today. Um, are we talking a rebound in services now? Um, it was a good report, but we also had another services report uh, from market economics that preceded uh, this morning's ISM report. And it wasn't uh, as upbeat. And if you actually looked at the numbers within the ISM report, you'll see it's still pretty pretty soft. There was a, they drew down backlogs to keep uh, output up. Um, also, the general trend of this report, which had been very strong, one of the uh, strongest sample surveys over the last several years um, out of the U.S., and uh, it has kind of deflated, fizzled. So even a 54.7 for this, it's, it's among the lowest readings in several years. Um, so I wouldn't uh, go too overboard with that. Um, you know, generally, we know we had the trade report this morning, and um, it showed a, a general trend that we've been seeing, whether you look at uh, Hong Kong um, imports, exports, Japanese import exports, uh, German import exports, and U.S. import exports. They're, they're in contraction now, both on a monthly, they've just turned this, you know, just, just in the last several months, uh, both on a monthly and a yearly basis. So we're seeing uh, contraction in cross-border trade, or at least uh, there's going to be no growth uh, as of right now. So unless that improves, you know, there's the, the risk of a global slowdown. Uh, and we don't really know how much these can continue to contract the cross-border trade and whether or not it's being compensated for by internal demand. That, of course, is what, what the, the hope would be. But uh, this is playing out in its, in its, uh, and it's, uh, it's a central thing that's going on right now. Yeah, certainly the market's clearly very much you know, alert to what's going on in terms of all these trade talks. Now, look, I know you're not a big fan of these, but I always ask you about them anyway. Mm-hmm, so it's yeah. always just your view. The um, the Fed's now cast. Now, I saw that the uh, <laughs> one of them was it New York was revised down from something like 
to point eight from point nine. Atlanta, I think I've scribbled down here, was one point five, and that's been revised down to one point one percent for the fourth quarter. Yeah, Do they just kind of look like sensible numbers to you, or are they too weak? And if they well, are, does that mean the Fed might have to cut again? It's funny you should say that because we had motor vehicle sales, and they. Uh, slowed very significantly in October. And this is really the first indication uh, for consumer spending. Even though it's the unit sales involve uh, sales to businesses, um, it's still uh, an early and important indicator. You know, it, it's, it's not a, a, a you know, slam dunk that you know how retail sales or vehicle sales are going to do. But it's an opening, a, a very poor opening for the first indication of consumer spending in the fourth quarter. And um, so if the consumer does slow and payroll growth is slow, and we also had job openings today in the JOLTS report, and they are definitely down. Um, so can the will the uh, economy continue to generate enough jobs? Um, well, I guess we'll have to see. But uh, if that does slow, then a lower GDP, because it's been the consumer spending that has just completely uh, uh, held up. Um, consumer uh, the GDP this year, consumer spending. In fact, uh, it, it contributed 1.9 percentage points to the last to the first estimate of uh, third quarter GDP, which I think came in at two percent. So it's in almost entirely um, the the economy itself. And if if that go, and that's why the Fed was able to talk tough, uh, you know, and, and step away from further rate cuts, at least from now, or, uh, because of the consumer. And if that, if that does slow, then I think you, you would see a, a slowdown going into year end. And we have, we have not really seen any indications that manufacturing is picking up. Something here, something there, but but the, the general trends in these PMIs, for instance, have been have been cu- coming down, and capital goods orders and the durable goods uh, and factory orders report are just, uh, ob- you know, they've come a sharp contraction in two of the last months. Before that, there was uh, no growth, so it's it's pointing in the wrong direction for the factory sector going into year end. Okay, let me just just slightly change tack a bit. Um, Let us assume then that the Fed is on hold for the time being. I suppose if markets start to believe that all interest rates are bottom, then the next question is, well, when are they going to go up? So let me just quote Mr. Powell from last week. Um, I think we would need to see a really significant move up in inflation that's persistent before we even consider raising rates to address inflation concerns. So does that mean that the idea of Fed tightening is completely off the table over the foreseeable future yes there is no indication (laughs) there's no indication of a picking up in inflation if wages had been showing a little bit of uh spunk uh several months back but that was several months and since then they've been sagging even more and if job openings are coming down and job growth is slowing then you're going to see uh less whatever contribution that offered to the inflation rate um that's not and you don't see it in any of the producer price reports uh import prices are coming down um, and uh, it's hard for you know. And I, I wanted to ask Brian, when was the last time the Japanese had a an inflation scare? When was I mean, was it like what is it now? 0. 0.5, 0. 0.6, 0. 0.7 a year? I mean, when did they have? Did they ever have? When was the last in memory? Did they have a two percent inflation rate? Uh, I, I can't remember. No. Good question. <laughs> 
you stumped me there. So yeah, there's something going on, and so you know we're in this, uh, I guess, this new world. But what has this has triggered is a ton of uh, money printing by the central banks, quantitative easing, zero interest rates. It's already, you know, we have a high fiscal uh, deficit here in the U.S. accelerating enormously. Um, so you're getting all these uh, fixes, these traditional kind of stimulus fixes. But is it the pushing on the string like you bring up, Jeremy? You know. Yeah. Worrying times. And I guess, um, thanks for that, Mark. Um, we could round off this um, session then with, uh, with my part of the world and kind of, you know, central bank, which does appear to have been pushed on a piece of string for a while now, of course, it's the ECB. Um, third quarter preliminary flash figures for um, growth out of the Eurozone last week, they showed just a 0.2% quarter on quarter increase. So, okay, that was actually a tick above what the market was expecting, but it still equaled the worst performance we've seen from the region since it last contracted back at the start of 2013. Annual growth for Eurozone is now down to, what, just 1.1%. Um, and that's the lowest number we've seen for that particular measure since the end of 2013. October PMIs are pretty horrible too. So you know, in a nutshell, the, the Eurozone real economy at the moment really is struggling. Inflation figures we had last week as well. Well, the headline number was down to 0.7, down from 0.9. And that's its lowest we've had uh, since November 2016. The good news, if that's the right term for the ECB, was that the core rate edged up to 1.1%. But bear in mind that the target is still near 2%. So the worry, I think, for the ECB now, and in particular, the Christine Lagarde, of course, who will be taking over the president's role at the next meeting on December the 12th, is that we could see falling headline inflation start to dampen down inflation expectations. And were that to happen, of course, you could start to have second round effects and feedback through into the core index. So ECB can't be at all happy at the moment. Um, sticking with the sort of the central banks, we do have a Bank of England meeting this week. And what can we say about that? Well, just when it seemed as if UK politics couldn't get any more complicated, we now face an early general election on December the 12th. So that's what, just 37 days away. Now, it's going to be the first nationwide poll we've had over here at that time of the year since 1923. And it's not even because the government wants it. Rather, it's uh, the case that Johnson and co believe that it's the only way they can get their Brexit proposals through Parliament. And of course, for the opposition parties, now with a no deal Brexit off the table, at least for the time being anyway, it's an opportunity too good to miss. Now, probably the most appropriate thing about this is that the results will be coming out on Friday the 13th. And since <laughs> no one's really got a clue what they're going to be at the moment, I think that probably sums things up quite, ni quite nicely. Jeremy, how can yep. a hard Brexit come back? What would <laughs> A hard Brexit could come back at the end of the day. Well, all we have at the moment, of course, is that we don't have a, a, a deal agreed by UK Parliament and the EU. Um, Boris Johnson did get the kind of the first round voting of his deal through Parliament, what, a couple of weeks ago. But his belief most definite is that at the end of the day, when push comes to shove, he won't be able to get the majority for his new deal to go the whole course through Parliament, which means currently then uh, we have this extension until the end of January but we don't have a formally agreed withdrawal bill, withdrawal bill between the European Union and the UK. So let's assume, I don't know, the Conservatives do win the next election. Um, they try to push forward through a withdrawal bill, which they 
they might not have enough majority to you know to get to the House of Commons, and we're back to exactly where we were again. And if we can't agree a deal with the EU, perhaps next time we have to ask for another extension, they'll just say no. In which case, it's a hard Brexit, we simply fall out without a deal. So as things currently stand, although a no deal Brexit for the time being really is off the table, you know it's not impossible to rule it out altogether. And indeed, as we said before, were we to see the lights of a Labour Party and Liberal Dems being able to form some kind of parliamentary majority, then we're probably looking at a, a second referendum, which of course could cancel Brexit altogether. So still, you know, really is up in the air at the moment and pretty well everything, everything which could happen, you know, might well happen. Who knows? So all the extremes are possible. All the extremes are possible. I suppose it's really. It's worth mentioning, of course, that I don't know if people can hear from my side. There's various bangs and crashes going on in London at the moment because it's Guy Fawkes Night over here, being November the fifth, and that's of course when we celebrate the person who tried to blow up the Houses of Parliament back in 1605. And you can't help but think, after all the trials and tribulations of yet another Brexit instant extension, and now the early early general election, with a policy like that, I reckon Guy Fawkes at the moment would do rather well in the opinion polls. Um, okay, what else have we got to say from my side? Not that much risk. A Bank of England meeting on Thursday, but against this kind of political uncertainty, there's virtually zero chance that they could do anything with policy, even if they wanted to. If we just strip away the politics show for the moment, it's safe to say that the UK economy, a bit like the rest of the Eurozone, is just about chugging along at the moment, but not really much more than that. The inflation numbers have been trending slightly softer, so there's that not much pressure for the Bank of England to come out um, and doing it with interest rates anyway. Although, from what they'd like to say on Thursday, they'll probably stick with this kind of central scenario view, whereby they're going to assume still a smooth Brexit and a possibility of higher interest rates, because that should give lift to the UK economy as and when and if it's finally delivered. But we'll just have to wait and see. Okay, um, what else? I'll sort of just quickly round off since we're doing the central banks of the Bank of Canada from last week. No change in their 1.25% benchmark rate there. Um, but the, this again, a bit like um, as Brian was talking about with Aussie, sorry, with um, Japan, I should say, uh, the Central Bank of Canada making some slight tweaks to its forward guidance, or at least its official statement as well. They've dropped the claim that borrowing costs were appropriate, a warning instead that Canada's resilience of economy will be tested as conflicts and uncertainty over growth, out, growth outlook persists. So again, put a straight line through it, suggests that they're much more prepared to come out and do something towards easing monetary policy now than they were just a few days ago. Okay, anyone else for anything else? Silence is golden. <laughs> Not on Guy Fawkes, really, but... Okay, thanks everyone. In which case, um, thanks everyone. We will end it there then. Um, from Brian, Mark and myself. Thanks as ever for listening. Do remember to keep up to date with all the key economic indicators and market events in Connor Day's global economic calendar. And we look forward to doing it all again next week. Bye for now. <laughs>